You'll see on, I think it's page 5 in the service sheet, there's an outline of this passage. So we use the outline of the passage to, to teach it, but also it shows us Christ. And to start with, introducing this idea today of love couldn't come at a more appropriate time, I think. Because we, friends, live in times that will test our love. We live in times that will test our love. There's no doubt in our minds we feel an anxiety over the last couple of years, a weariness in our bodies. If our grandparents, or perhaps great-grandparents, were the war generation, what is our generation known as? When our parents, at least my parents, were known as the boomers. Before them, their parents, the war generation, Second First World War. What will be written for us, maybe written into the history books, will be marked out as a chapter known as the COVID generation. And as much as I've no wish to be grouped and named by a sickness, it is the worldwide thing. As much as we'd like to say, no, we are the generation that Australian rugby had its comeback. Or we are the generation that, um, we, we, we're the ones that, that brought uh, everything you could think of into a small device, the phone. We are the ones that developed ways in which we would do all sorts of things to help the world. Friends, as much as we would like to write our story, it's been written for us. We're in a worldwide pandemic. Perhaps we'll be the COVID generation. Let's be real. It is what's shaping our kids' schooling at the moment. You've got kids at school. This has changed everything for schooling at the moment. It's also worked into our work life. It's leading to so much struggle for people mentally and in all sorts of other ways. And that all is testing our love, isn't it? It's testing our love for one another and even our love within a church. J.R. Tolkien he wrote Lord of the Rings. If you haven't read the books or seen the movies, you might be familiar with what I'm talking about, but he wrote it, and in the context of this, they actually made a movie about Tolkien recently. Um, Tolkien was of the war generation. So he was a British man, and he went through First World War. Uh, he had a son, I think, in the Second World War. He was of the war generation. They knew what it was like to have that all-encompassing thing shape how they lived. Which means when he writes Lord of the Rings, you actually see it in the writing. You see the, the context of the struggle and the worldwide thing that's affecting everybody. And so when he writes this, and this is a conversation between Frodo and Gandalf, Frodo says this. I wonder if you feel and resonate with this. Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this happened. And Gandalf says... So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Isn't that true? Do you feel like Frodo? I do. I feel sometimes reacting to the COVID thing and I just wish that none of this happened. I wish that when the, when the Worldwide Health Organization saw there was a problem that they did something faster or someone said something or there was truth or there was transparency. I wish all of that happened. I know I'm saying controversial things, but I just wish someone did something and the worldwide thing didn't happen. That's my reaction. But then I reflect. Maybe 
those things happened in God's sovereignty. So for his reasons, he was giving us something with the time given us to respond, to grow, even to be tested in our love, to grow in love. Think on this, friends. What can God use that is awful for good purposes? The cross. Could God use a form of execution by humiliation that the Romans created in their creativity? Could he use the cross for good purposes? Then he could even use, it's conceivable he could use COVID, isn't it? For his good purposes. And what we have now is to decide what we will do with the time given to us. It's not to react, it's to reflect and to respond with the time given to us. We have that time now, which is why I think, friends, it is a poignant moment in the life of our church that this passage has come to us in 1 Thessalonians. This time, this moment. Today, a roadmap will be announced by the Victorian state government about what it looks like to exit out of this thing. I can imagine that there may be feelings of frustrations and reaction to what we don't see happening or don't get. And I can, I can feel that too. But that's why we need this passage. That's why we need this. And this next instalment as God speaks to us. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he, God is speaking to the church of reforming. And he says, firstly, from verse 9, you have been taught to love one another. No doubt, testing times like this scare us. Can I be honest in front of you? It scares me too. But it's not the sickness that scares me. Here's what scares me, friends. Before COVID, people could disagree with one another. Like, isn't it interesting? I mean, we disagreed all the time, and that was okay. Sometimes it wasn't. There's a little bit of, you know, sort of frenzied activity or friction or frayed at the edges. Sometimes we disagreed, but a lot of the time we disagreed and it was okay. But now, we disagree and it's never okay. We disagree online and that goes nuclear. Like someone disagrees with someone online and it goes to DEFCON 1 very quickly. We don't disagree well. It wouldn't matter how gently you speak an opinion these days, after these last couple of years, an opinion that you are entirely allowed to have, and then someone jumps on with spotlight and keyboard, ready to smash out some words to pull you down and destroy you in front of everyone. The Romans invented the cross. We invented humiliation by social media. We live in times of tension where disagreement turns to breaking of relationship, where opinions once shared and considered are now slammed and cancelled. And I think what scares me most, friends, is I see that in the worldwide Christian church. And where it gets worse is if it starts to appear in the local church. 
It's very easy to disagree with someone over there, over there, I never actually get to know. But when, you, when it's someone I love, pre or during pandemic, that's when it gets worse. That's what these words are written for. The problem is our love, our genuine love, that comes from Jesus himself, will be tested. This is actually a good thing. This problem turns into an opportunity. You see, if love is never tested, it never grows. If you never exercise your love muscles, you never grow them. If everyone's just likable and it's easy, there's no love, it's just like. And liking something is easy. Liking something on Facebook is relatively easy. You extend your thumb a little bit out, you push a little screen, you don't even feel a click. It's just there. Sometimes it happens accidentally. But love is much harder. Love, particularly close quarters love with people you disagree with, that's where it gets real. That's where it's really, is this a test of love? So I can choose between a like on Facebook and a love heart now. Sometimes that's hard to know, isn't it? Do I overuse the love? Do I underuse the like? But real love, real love is, will I love someone I can disagree with? Look at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are being taught by God to love one another. This is the language of family love. Last week we saw in First Thessalonians the language of sexual love. This is now family love. And in the love that is a church family, it's radical, it's revolutionary, there's nothing like it. See, you can be members of an organisation, some of you are. You can be members of an organisation and there may be benefits. You can be members of a club and there's perks. But you can be members even of a paternal, maternal family and there's joys about that. But to be members of what the Bible calls the household of God, the church family, that has blessings beyond this life. The love and blessings you enjoy and all those other things, clubs, organisations, even your paternal, maternal family, none of those things have blessings of love beyond and into eternity, but the church does. There are organisations, even Christian ones I've noticed, they might be uh, organisations called the ABCD of something, right? They have CEOs and all sorts of structures and they call themselves a family, but it's not the same. Even to be a Christian organisation, be that a parachurch organisation or something else that has a structure that's got a CEO and you're employed, it's not a family. A family is where you're joined together, you're brothers and sisters, because Jesus has organised it that way. Jesus said this group, unlike a company structure with an employment process, this group, this is primarily a family. And in this group... Jesus saves and gathers all sorts of people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, whatever medical status, whatever age, whatever like or dislike, colour of skin or the struggles you have within, whatever you are, have and whoever you are, you are all welcome here in this family. And that's why we call each other with genuine affection brothers and sisters. We're not doing it because we're rap artists. We're doing it because I truly do mean it. Jack, you are my brother. Robin is our brother. Leah is our sister. Michelle, our sister. We truly mean this. So when we read verse 9, we see why it's so important. Now Paul writes, isn't it? There's a little bit of an irony in this. He says, um, I've no need... 
for anyone to write to you. Like, in other words, I know I'm writing to you, but I don't need to write to you because I know you get it, right? He says, you've already been taught by God to love one another. And you've got to ask, when? When did that happen? This is a pretty new church plant. Paul and Silas with them for three weeks and they were forced out of town. When were they were taught to love one another? We'll go back to when they were plant started, when the church plant started. Um, let's go back to Acts 17, if you want to go back to Acts 17. And you can see, how were they taught by God to love one another? Acts 17 verse 2, and we see this. Paul went in, he's in Thessalonica, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So notice this, Paul has got what they've got. They have a Bible. They don't have the New Testament yet. Because that's yet to be written. In fact, First Thessalonians is one of the first letters written. They don't have the gospel accounts yet of Jesus written down. What they have is the Old Testament. So what they've been taught by God is they have. Paul has actually preached them. He got a little pulpit perhaps. Uh, perhaps he was seated. Maybe standing. Customs change. Whatever's happened... The key is, in that verse, he opened the Bible with them. He reasoned to them from the Scriptures. And then look at Acts 17, verse 3. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul has got the Old Testament Scriptures, opened them up and said, every page points to Jesus. Every page points to Jesus. You can open the Bible and you will find every page paragraph, sentence, some way, in some way or form, points to Jesus. The gospel teaches us to love one another. The gospel, what's the word gospel mean? It means good news. And here is the good news. Jesus taught us to love one another because he first loved us. Now, we understand the gospel is good news, but you need to understand the good news in the context of the bad news. What's the bad news, friends? It's not just COVID. It's not just a roadmap that doesn't suit us very well, whatever that is. Here's the bad news, truly devastating bad news. Ever since the beginning, when our ancient grandparents, not the war generation, not the boomer generation, but the fallen generation, when our ancient grandparents, Adam and Eve, didn't love God as they should, didn't love one another as they could. They didn't love, and love is the opposite of sin. They sinned. They did not choose love, they chose to sin, and that has led to the fall. And we are all fallen, and we're all failures. But here's the good news, God gives grace. And Jesus himself, God in Christ, comes, a man who does not sin, who lives perfectly, then died in the place of imperfect people. His name is Jesus, which means God saves. It's Christmas. You hear Jesus. His name means God saves. And he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed King. And he taught us to love one another. So the apostles, having heard Jesus preach on love, God's word in the Old Testament, teaching on love, The Thessalonians have been taught to love one another. Hear Jesus' words. Chris read from John 15. You go back to John 15. This is what Jesus says. I'm going to just grab a couple. Listen to Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, verse 12. John 15, verse 17. These things I command you so that you love one another. You can go back to John 13. 
John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do we get the picture, friends? Jesus is not big on us being necessarily, first and foremost, right and someone else wrong on doctrine. Doctrine's important. Healthy doctrine's very important. But healthy doctrine begins when you understand the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you express all the right doctrine in the world but have not love, you're a heretic. Truly, if you have all the right knowledge and you don't love Christ and you don't love his people, you have strayed off right doctrine. When Jesus saves his people, his purpose is to gather them, to create a church. And that church, by the way, is not just this thing in the world that I kind of think, yeah, I'm part of the church because I'm a Christian and I'm part of the worldwide church. It's very hard to know how to love people if you're not actually hanging out with them. That's why Jesus says, I actually create the church to be local, personal and relatable. You can't test my love if I'm, do I love Frank in England or not? I don't know Frank in England. I'll meet him in eternity. But Frank in England, we don't hang out together to test my love. But I will know if my love is tested if I'm hanging out with Chris. And his love will be more tested if he's hanging out with me, may I add. Jesus' purpose is that we be personal and personal with our love. And that's going to get tested, particularly in testing times. And that's why Paul writes verse 10. We need to do it more and more. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? He says in verse 9, you go back to 1 Thessalonians, he says, you're already loving one another. He says, verse 10, you're doing this already throughout all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Why is he saying do it more and more? Well, before we get ahead, we need to see where we've been. Reforming Church is nearly nine years old. This church didn't exist nine years ago. We're nearly nine years old this February. And we've grown up a lot from ten people We've seen people saved and gathered, but we'll still have a lot of growing up to do, won't we? The Thessalonian church, at the time this letter was written, was a young church also. They're a young church, and Paul writes to them about things they need to keep doing, is keep loving and growing in their love. But here is where some comparisons can be helpful in the New Testament. I want you to notice, we did a series in 1 Corinthians a few years ago, then we did 2 Corinthians. But if you compare the Thessalonians, at least the letter, to the Corinthians, both letters have talk of love in them. But when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, you guys are loving people, it's wonderful, do it more and more. When he writes to the Corinthians, he writes that passage, which was our call to worship, 1 Corinthians 13, he writes a passage about love, and there's more words about love, and why love should be like Christ and what it looks like to be like Christ and loving. Why does he do that? Because the Corinthian church may be big, they may be blessed with lots of gifts, but they are dysfunctional and divisive. They're not loving one another. So Paul's tone and and words are different in 1 Corinthians and Thessalonians because they need to do it 
more and more and more and more because their love is being tested by their pride and their divisions and their dysfunction. Our love will be tested simply because we're sinners. We are fallen and we fail. And Paul writes to Thessalonians, you may be going okay now. You may think, well, we're better than the Corinthians. It's always not healthy for us to compare churches, is it? I know we think we're comparing apples to apples. We're not. We're comparing apples to oranges. Every church is different. Even every Presbyterian church is different. There are three in Bendigo, and we are different. Same confessionally on paper, but we are different in culture than the other two, and that's okay. So let's not compare ourselves, but let's look at ourselves and see where we can grow more and more in love. And as we do, we then read verse 11 and 12. Now, you may have noticed in the Bible reading, but 11 and 12 almost feels like a little bit weird. It's like, what's this here for? It's almost like there's a great clause in verses 9 and 10, and then in verse 11, it appears like an amendment to a bill. It's like, 9 and 10, love one another, fantastic sermon finishes. Oh, but just let me just add on, verse 11, you see that connecting word? And. Oh, and what, Paul? And to aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you. What? What's Paul saying here? What does he mean in the verses 11 and 12? He's talking about walking before outsiders. What does he mean uh, to, to live quiet, mind your business, work with your hands? What if you're a loud person? How can I, how can I be quiet when I'm a loud person? What do you expect me to whisper all the time? This is my whispering voice. What does he mean? You, you can't just manage other people's affairs. What if I'm hired to? What if, what if my job is to manage other people's affairs? What if I don't work with my hands? What if my job is to work with my mind and just use hand gestures? Paul is not saying here, if you don't serve in paid work, then you're sinning. Paul can't be saying that. There are some in our church or society that are always at the stage of not having paid work or unable to work, or they're sick. Many serve in volunteer work, and you've heard this here before at Reforming Church. There is a glory in volunteer work that is wonderful. And that's not what Paul means here, of course, is it? How do we know? Friends, here's my tip. When you've got questions about the Bible, the answer is always in the Bible. And it's actually in verse 12. Why is Paul saying work this way? Verse 12, the next conjunction, the next connecting words is, so that... Why? Why work this? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What's he saying here? He's not giving details what sort of job field you should be in, but he's showing you that the world around us, our neighbours, our paternal and maternal families, the, the Church of Christians, Christ family, will be known by our love. That means we ought not be known as people who are busybodies. Gossipers, slanderers, divisive, fighting, spending all our time on social media and not all our time serving others. That's what he's saying. Think about the church's reputation today. The amount of stuff that happens, particularly in social commentary, is I'm amazed how people have the time. 
Like, I might write a website article occasionally and put out a blog post, but the amount of social commentary just by Christians on social media, I wonder, do you have a job? How do you have the time to write? Let me hear me right. There's nothing wrong with social commentators. But does the world see us, the church, as a compelling community or just as social commentators? There's nothing wrong with social commentary. But friends, hear this. In a world of social commentary, of social media and socially unhealthy relationships, all Christian social commentary becomes is us shouting louder than the other guys. There are whole websites devoted to this. There's a website who I've seen in the last week, I didn't know about them until a few weeks ago, they put out some sort of statement, but there's there's supposed to be a website with Christian writers who are now writing about other churches and the Christians in such unhelpful ways. I wonder, firstly, how could a Christian write that? Secondly, I wonder, is someone paying you to do this? And thirdly, I wonder... Is the outside world looking on going, you know what, I just would love to look at Christianity now. I'd love to look at Christ right now. They're not. You're turning them away in droves. You are not showing the love of Christ. Church is not an internet platform getting cranky at other Christians. It's for interpersonal relationships where we love other Christians. And when outsiders are watching, they're going to be watching through this lens, friends. Are these people just busybodies harassing other people? Or are they loving people in a compelling way that I'd want to actually go and join that and hang out with them? That's what they're asking. They're asking this right now. They're not asking how great can you cut someone else down by your words. Slander, gossip, is not of Christ. And it kills his church. I am so surprised the amount of times people have a grievance with someone and I open up Matthew 18 and they've never done that. And then when I say, Jesus tells you to go and talk to the person about it, not tell everyone else about it, but talk to them and love them so they can apologise, you can forgive and have a wonderful reconciled relationship, people looking on and go, well, that's the gospel there, that's what Jesus does. And the amount of times that doesn't happen, friends, this is our moment. This is our moment to be taught by Jesus himself to love one another. This is our ministry of love, and this is where we finish. There are many ministries our church could have. Ministries of members serving the family, serving the wider community. But friends, all our ministries without love, like 1 Corinthians 13, all our ministries without love is like me getting the symbol of this drum here and just banging it in your ear asking, is my music helping you? Without love, we don't read people. Without love, we don't care for people. 
We don't listen to people. We don't even disagree with them and honour them. I want to see disagreement with honour, with respect, with a genuine love that listens and understands and serves. Life and ministry without love is nothing, Paul writes. It's like doing life by cardboard cutouts of ourselves. We were created for something better. We were created by God's love for God's love for other people. Jesus said, by this love, people will know. Oh, hang on a minute. They're different. (gasps) Of course, they're disciples of Jesus. Makes sense. Now I know who they are. Let's hear Jesus and love one another, especially when we, in season COVID, seem to come up with reasons not to. I'm tired. I've had a lot on. I've been sick. Whatever reason we could give. Now we can say, I love you. Yeah, I disagree with you, but I love you so much. That's compelling, friends. Just for a moment, could we imagine what that would do in our community? Even as we disagree, and if it's on social media, so be it, but the world watches on and then we say, I love you so much as we disagree. Like you don't see that anywhere. With so much love and so much honour for one another, we disagree and have difference that outsiders have to say, who does that? But if you recognise in this moment a reflection that you haven't been like that, please don't leave so stuck in your feelings of failure that you don't see how Christ loves you. Like, get this. Who loves failures? Who does that? Who loves people that fail even this morning? Who then comes towards them and says, I got you, you're mine, I love you. Jesus does that. See, if you've seen a lack of love in your life, perhaps you've been tested by COVID so much and you just can't handle it anymore, see that Christ is for you. Here we have a trustworthy saying, I'm often wrong, I'm regularly weak, and I'm always welcome. I'm wrong, I'm weak, I'm welcome. I am wrong, I'm weak, and I'm welcome. Always. Hear the good news today. See, admitting you're wrong is actually the place of grace, isn't it? When you hit rock bottom, when you hit that place when you realise you've failed, you're fallen and you're wrong, that's the place of grace. That's where you receive grace. But pretending that we've got it all right and sorted, it's hard for grace to get in there. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud, Peter writes. The place of grace is to admit you're wrong. You receive grace and encouragement, which is beyond this world. It's supernatural. It's powerful. And we love because he first loved us. What does love look like? It's the shape of a cross. His perfect love laid down in judgment and death for your imperfect life. Your lifestyle history without love, he loves you. Love is Jesus. Love is Jesus for you. And we need that kind of love today that we can then show others.
Patience, kindness, forgiveness, these are the markers and the measure of the depths of love we could have. But if we just talk about love and don't express those things when it really matters, we're just splashing about in the baby pool. But now we have an opportunity to love like Christ, who dove to the depths of the deep end out of love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today to hear your voice in the scriptures, to hear your love for us in Christ and how now we have been so loved to be able to love one another. And so we're asking you, continue to grow our love more and more. Make us more like Jesus, the Lord who loves. That we would be a community of love where outsiders in our life would see our walk with Christ. They'd be so compelled by this love. And we ask this because in this season, we need this. This is what we need most of all. Our neighbours need this most of all. We need Jesus most of all. And so we pray most of all in his name. Amen.